So really over the last few weeks we've been touching into some of the key practices of insight meditation and I've been trying to gradually expand the field of our awareness so that we can include more and more aspects of experience. So last week we started training in how to stay present with our mental activity, with our thinking, without getting lost in it, which is a pretty crucial skill in insight practice. And I want to emphasize this because, as I mentioned right back in week one, and as we were just exploring, many people have this basic misunderstanding that mindfulness is just about paying attention to the breath. And then because of that, if the attention is anywhere else other than the breath, and definitely if it's with some kind of mental activity, there's the belief that that's not meditation and I have to drag my attention back to the breath, back to the breath, back to the breath. Which usually ends up in cultivating quite a lot of struggle and various unsuccessful strategies to try and get the mind to stop thinking. Which mostly is pretty counterproductive and creates a lot of aversion in the mind. So for me, it was really helpful to hear one teacher say, just as the eyes see and the ears hear, the mind thinks. That's just what it does. That's its nature in a way. So getting into battle with that is pretty not very helpful, especially because most people are already in battle with their minds in various ways trying to deal with all kinds of afflictive thoughts and scatteredness and emotions. So sometimes when we hear all this meditation talk about ease and happiness and peace and freedom, it can sound like a cruel joke. Like, when is my mind ever going to get there? So just by way of reassurance, it's very common when we first start paying attention to the mind to feel quite discouraged or even confronted when we experience directly just how incessant our mental activity can be. Not only that it's incessant, but quite a lot of what's going on in there is not only not helpful, it's sometimes actively harmful. So there is a stage especially in the beginning, that can be quite discouraging when we start to realize what's going on in here. There can be like, I think I like to shut that door and forget about it, not open up that can of worms again. But even though it's not easy, this clear seeing is actually crucial because unless we know what's going on, we can't do anything about it. And again, I want to highlight this because there can be a misunderstanding and sometimes the way mindfulness is presented in some settings, it's presented as you just be with it. Just be with your experience. Don't try to change it anyway. Don't get involved with it. Just be with it. Just be with it. Just be with it. In insight tradition, that is the start of it. But once we've got really clear about what's happening, there are times when we do want to engage with that 
We want to rein in what's harmful and we want to strengthen and cultivate what is beneficial. And so this is one of the main points of this practice and one of the reasons we want to pay such careful attention to the mind is because everything we say and do arises from an impulse in the mind. So we want to know what is the overall quality of the mind because it has a very powerful influence on whether what we say and do is harmful or helpful. So I'm sure you all know that in your own experience. You know, we talk about having a bad day, getting out of bed on the wrong side of bed. What happens after that? We stub our toe, we spill our coffee, we snap at our partner, we get cut off in traffic. The whole thing snowballs and you know, it has a way of negative mind states tend to attract and um, proliferate. The opposite is also true. When we wake up in a good mood, things seem to go more smoothly, people are kind to us, we're kind to other people, there's more calmness, there's more spaciousness, we just slide through the day more easily. Does that feel true, generally speaking? And all of that is starting with the quality of the mind or the heart-mind. So mindfulness is not simply about just being with it, being with it, being with it. We want to bring in discernment or wisdom so that we can relate skillfully to that experience and not have it create harm for ourselves or harm for others. And that harm usually arises out of what are known as the afflictive mind states. These being qualities such as greed, lust, irritation, frustration, judgment, self-judgment, jealousy, resentment, anxiety, fear, despair, resistance, distraction, boredom, fantasy, and so on and so on and so on. Just giving you a random sample, you can probably add in a few favorites of your own, I'm guessing. So all of those are afflictive states, and they can have a pretty powerful impact on how we experience our lives. And even though we understand that in theory, mindfulness of the mind is much easier said than done partly because that mental activity happens so fast. We don't often realize what's even going on until we suddenly find ourselves in the middle of a painful argument or caught up in some kind of interpersonal drama or perhaps finding ourselves in a 12-hour Netflix binge on the weekend. And then we finally realize, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, something's going on here. So the speed of thinking is one challenge. The second challenge is that without some mindfulness training, most people tend to take their thoughts and emotions pretty personally, to believe them as true, as real, as who I am. So in English, it's very common to say things like, I'm so angry, or I was so depressed, or I'm bored, 
or I'm such a failure, and so on. But if we actually look at that, what's happening is, oh, anger is arising. Anger's like this. There's tightness in the jaw. There's buzzing energy in the mind. There are painful, vengeful thoughts. So we can know all of that. And in that space, sometimes we can recognize, oh, a flicker of self-compassion is like this. A slight feeling of release is like this. So that's the quality of bare awareness. And I don't know if you even heard it in the language that I just used. If I say, I am so angry. I even, as I, to say that, my jaw sort of clenches a bit. But if I just say, oh wow, angles are rising, heat in the face, tensing in the shoulders. Okay, anger is like this. Does it feel different energetically when you hear it described in those two ways? So when it's referred back to an I and we take ownership of that state, I'm doing that because again, we close down, we contract, we hold on to it. So that's how the majority of people tend to relate to their thoughts. They either believe them completely, identify with them, take them to be who they are. Or on the other hand, they just, well, thoughts are irrelevant. They're not that important. So we might think, you know, it was fine. I sat there seething with rage with about my boss fantasizing about all these revenge things I'm going to do, but I didn't say anything, so it's no problem. But in this understanding, that's a slippery slope, because if we're actually cultivating those mind states, we're at risk of acting out on them. So we want to pay attention to the mind. And I'm guessing probably all of you have had an experience of you going about your day feeling pretty okay, everything's fine. And then some random thought comes in out of nowhere and vroom, the whole world shifts. And suddenly you're seething with rage or feeling really sad or depressed, totally caught by some suite of unpleasant or painful emotions, sometimes for hours. And why? because of one random firing of neurons in the brain. So when you really think about it, what actually is a thought? It's just a pulse of electrical energy somewhere in the mind. And it only has exactly as much power as we give to it. And so paying attention to the mind can help us really reclaim some of that power when we feel like we've got hijacked by something. So as our mindfulness gets stronger, it is possible to recognize thoughts are just thoughts. And in and of themselves, they don't have that much power. So the more solid we make them, the more weight we give them, more personally we take them, to that same extent, they tend to cause us stress and distress. And the opposite is also true. The more we can simply know them as thinking, the more freedom we have to choose which ones we pay attention to 
and which ones we just let float on by. So thoughts can be tricky and seductive, but then we also have emotions, and they tend to hook us in even more than just our simple mental activity. And in fact, you know, these are difficult, and sometimes people come to meditation with an unconscious desire to just quietly get away from the emotions by sitting all calm and blissful and peaceful. But that doesn't always work very well. As many of you discover, precisely because of that calm and peace and space, there's almost more room for that unattended, neglected emotional stuff to start percolating up. So this is a normal and expected aspect of the practice. But in mainstream society as a whole, I think emotional literacy is not very valued. We tend to live much more in our intellects, and often we don't even recognize what's going on in our emotional life until those emotions break through in sometimes surprising or painful ways. So sometimes when we're meditating, we recognize very familiar thought patterns, same loop stuck on endless repeat. Anybody had that experience? It's like, really? Do I need to think that for the 50th time today? And sometimes if we investigate a bit more closely, we can find that underneath that repetitive thought is some kind of emotion that the thinking is actually keeping at bay. So that's very one very common strategy that we have to try and think ourselves away from something. And again, even in my body, that's what happens. If I'm thinking, 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 there's a physical separation. And if I am able to bring my attention down, oh, feeling hurt <laughs> or feeling humiliated or feeling lonely or whatever it might be. And if I can bring my awareness directly to the emotion, then often that thinking, thinking, thinking will just settle and it's easier to come back to steadiness and calm. So in practicing mindfulness of emotions, the basic approach is the same. We try to bring that non-reactive kind curiosity to them and simply know them as just emotions. And sometimes the analogy is used as like weather systems that pass, weather systems that pass through the sky. So just like the sky is not affected by rain or hail or wind, thunder or lightning that you had earlier today, the sky of the mind can simply know, okay, boredom or loneliness or irritation or joy or kindness and so on. So to help us stay steady and present with that, the technique that's known as mental noting can be very helpful. And again, this is a kind of training in emotional lit literacy because most of us are not used to that. So just when we've got a little more steady and stable, to take a moment to notice what's going on in here. 
And sometimes it can be quite hard to recognize what that emotion is. It's definitely a skill. And in my own practice, at times it's a bit, felt a bit like throwing darts at a dartboard. So I'd be sitting there going, mm, is it, is it, mm, it, it's sad. And it was going to clunk. It's not quite sad. Oh, is it sad, but it's a tinge of, oh, loneliness, clunk, and I've got the, the bullseye. It just clicks into place. And then once I recognize it for what it is, it's like, oh, okay. So then I can meet that with kindness. Even if we can't get the exact perfect word, so this is not an exercise in having a thesaurus and going, oh, is it loneliness or is it despair? But just trying to get some kind of handle on it. Because apparently in the mind, what's happening is the part of the brain that makes the mental note is different from the part of the brain that's actually feeling it. So each time we can name what's actually happening, we're sort of perforating that cloud of identification with the experience and it can start to lighten up. So we're going to be practicing with this after the break, but just to say, similar to thoughts, like some of you experienced last week, when we're invited to pay attention to emotions, often they seem to get stage fright and just vanish completely. So if that's true for you, you don't have to make something happen. You can just know or note, not much happening, or quiet, or calm, or whatever. Because paying attention to those more refined states is also powerful practice. So you're not trying to change your experience anyway, you're just knowing it exactly as it is. Okay, are there any questions about any of that before we take a short break and then give it a go? Pretty straightforward? Just a, um, 